Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha reading. Stay tuned after the Drosh for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Well, you can tell we've had some technical issues because our sound man is out. He and his whole family have been going through flu or something. They pass it around like ping pong. Hot potato. (laughs) But it's been good so far anyway. And our portion, I always think about this at this time of year because here we are, it's mid to late January, Passover is coming up, we have Purim a month before that, but Passover is coming up and we're reading through the Pesach story right now. And I do believe that God orchestrated that on purpose so that we would begin to prepare for Passover. Because for us, it's a big deal. For a lot of Jewish people, it's a big deal in the sense of getting the family together, but it's not a big deal as a feast of God because many of them kind of don't relish it because it's they've done it all their lives. It's six hours long in their homes usually and monotonous and re- repetitive. But for us, I believe it's special to us because it's alive to us because of what Yeshua did for us. And so we're going to look at that a little bit more today. We're at the very start of the Passover in our portion. Moses has met God. He saw the messenger of Yahweh standing in the bush. And I wish I had time literally to paint that picture. Not here. I mean physically paint it. I used to dabble in painting when I was a kid, and I would love to take that on maybe when I retire, (laughs) if I ever do. I could do that. But I would love to see some a good artist who understands it a good rendition of of that messenger standing in the bush and Moses bowing down before him. Because Cecil B. DeMille and all the other movies have done a disservice to the readers. Um, But where we are in the reading, Yahweh had already spoken to Aaron, Moshe's brother, and it appears they knew each other. And again, we, we, we tend to think that they didn't, but they did because Aaron was three years older than Moses, so when he was being nursed by his mother in Pharaoh's palace, pretty sure Aaron knew about that. All right? Plus, God says, your brother Aaron is going to come to you. All right? And so God himself, Yahweh, spoke to Aaron and said, go out and meet your brother Moshe. So, and in our portion, they've already gone in front of Pharaoh the first time, and it didn't go well. Um, it went as expected, depending on your perspective, though. We have hindsight, so it went as God wanted it to go, right? But Pharaoh said to them, get yourselves unto your burdens. And then they laid heavier work on Israel, and then he said, you are idle, you are idle. In other words, you're just lazy people. You don't want to work. That's why you want to go out into the wilderness. You don't want to work. And Moshe had started the conversation with Paro, Pharaoh, this way. Thus says Yahweh Elohei Yisrael, let us go that we may worship three days. So he confronted Pharaoh with the name 
Yahweh, the God of Israel. He didn't just say, hey, God says. Are you with me? And after Pharaoh responded with the burdens and the people cried out against Moses, and we're going to get to that again here in a second, Moses prays, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has dealt with his people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Think about that. Moses fully expected. God had told him, you go to Pharaoh, I'm going to deliver them. He went to Pharaoh, spoke in God's name exactly what God told him to do, demonstrated the power of God. The people, Pharaoh turned on him, the people turned on him. And Moshe says, you didn't do it. And he was right. <laughs> I cannot help but see the parable of the sower in this because of what Israel did. And we're backing up to chapters 4 and 5 here if you haven't figured that out. Moses and Aaron came and sowed the word to Israel. Didn't they? God's sent a redeemer. He's going he's gonna to lead you out. And he showed Israel the signs that God had given to Moses at the burning bush, right? And it says, and the people believed. This is Exodus 4.31. And the people believed. And when they heard that Yahweh had remembered B'nai Yisrael, and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So they heard of their God, Yahweh the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They heard that he had sent Moses. They had seen the demonstration of his power, and they believed and they bowed their head and worshipped. And then Pharaoh afflicts them more greatly when they when they asked to be delivered, and they cried out cried out against Aaron and Moses. They said, Yahweh look upon you and judge. Holy moly. In other words, God judge you. <laughs> That's powerful words. Because you have made our Savior to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. He didn't say that. They took their fear and went further with it and judged Moses because, because Pharaoh did something. <laughs> Moses did nothing. Moses did exactly what God told him to do. They agreed to it. They bowed in worship. They were, they were all for it. And when it didn't go their way, they didn't turn on Pharaoh. They turned on Moses. That's people's nature. It is. Matthew 13, 20, I said this reminds me of the parable of the sower because Yeshua said of the, of the seed which is sown upon the rock, this is he who hears Hadavar, hears the word. And of course, you and I have hindsight. and We know that the word, which is what Yeshua was speaking in the context of this verse, but it is also Yeshua himself expressing the will of God, which is also Yahweh, right? He who hears Hadavar but has no root in him except for a while, and when trouble or persecution comes because of 
Hadavar, because of the word, because of what Yahweh said and did. When trouble or persecution comes, he immediately stumbles. And I've seen that happen over and over again, and it's sad. People blame God or the person that introduced them to God for things that the world is doing to them, including church people. Church people can be very, very worldly. Religious people are very worldly in a lot of ways. And people get mad at God and mad at his messengers and the people he truly sends. And that's sad. Moses had come to Pharaoh in the name of Yahweh. He said, thus says Yahweh Elohe Yisrael. And he called that to mind when he prayed to God. Since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has dealt ill with his people. And you've not delivered your people at all. I got to thinking about that because today we speak in his name. And the only people who get mad at us are religious people. Have you thought about it? I've never had one pagan or unbelieving person get angry at me for saying his name. But I have had Jewish people, Messianic Jewish people, Hebrew roots people, and Christians all get livid with me for saying his name. Pharaoh was the ruling religious class of Egypt. This is what a lot of people don't think about. These Egyptians were not an irreligious people. They were very religious. Very. Particularly, they believed in a trinity. Some people don't know this. Their trinity was Asar, Eset, and Heru. You may know them as Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Those are the Greek names for the same deities. They were a male and female and a son, Trinitarian godhead that Egypt worshipped. And they had a system of what they called Ma'at, which means grouping deities into families. And such is Asar, Eset, and Heru, the Egyptian trinity. At the first, their worship focused on Asar, that's their, that's their father figure. And then right about the time of Moses and then shortly, maybe thereafter, I'd ha have to check the timeline. It's been a long time since I studied it, but right around in there, it shifted from him to Isis, to the female deity, and she became sort of the leader of it. And that concept spread to the Greeks and Romans. They adopted these gods. That's why they have the names uh, Osiris, Isis, and whatever. Um, and it spread to other cultures, and so Isis is Astart, Ishtar, Easter. And she became, even though she's not technically the chief deity, she became the most worshipped through the women. And my point of all of this is they were not an utterly godless society. 
They were not a religion-free society. They were observant, and they were pious. They just had the wrong faith. Pharaoh was the high priest of it all. So when he was confronted by Moshe and he said, I speak to you in the name of Yahweh Elohei Yisrael, he's speaking in the name of one deity, and he's basically challenging Pharaoh's authority as the high priest of a religion. And he said, I don't know the name Yahweh. Well, you better get to know it. <laughs> You're about to. You're going to find out. They had many gods, but Moshe was bringing one Elohim. I got to thinking about that. As we read the Siddur and I see the word Elohim, and I know that people don't, you know, watchers that are new or a guest might not know what Elohim means, and it does mean God, but look at it. In English, you can't express it that way. God is singular. Elohim in Hebrew is singular by an order of magnitude. So there is a subtle difference, and that's why I like to use it. And that's why I put a dash in our website when I write God, because I want to provoke people to ask that question. Why do you do that? Because... The creator is a singular entity by an order of magnitude. He's bigger than we can understand. But he is singular. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. And that confronted Pharaoh. He said, who is Yahweh that I should hearken to his voice and let Israel go? Pharaoh may not have known what God's name meant, but I'm willing to bet he probably did. They were communicating. I don't know if they spoke in Hebrew or in ancient Egyptian. I don't know. But even if he didn't understand the nature of God's name grammatically, I think he got it. Because it, was, it took some audacity and some courage for this former prince of Egypt, now a shepherd, to stand before the ruler of the known world and say, hey, let go of these two million slaves you got building your, your, your empire. This is not small, <laughs> is the point that I'm making. This, this is not something that happened in East Texas, right? His name embodies who God is. He was, he is, and he will be. All these other gods had a beginning and they will have an end. They're not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. Sorry. <laughs> it's automatic. <laughs> but they will be. We will never hear their names again shortly in the future. Hallelujah. Moshe spoke his name with confidence because he had seen the messenger in the bush. He had spoken with him. He saw his own staff changed twice. And he saw his own arm changed twice. And then he did the same 
set of miracles in front of his own people, seeing all those same miracles again, and then he did them in front of Pharaoh, he's confident in who he's speaking about. He had been granted his own brother, seen in 40 years, maybe more. We can't know exactly from the time he was weaned until the time the murder happened. We don't know. But he hadn't seen him in a long time. He's, so he's, and now he is his spokesperson, right? And he stands before Pharaoh and says with all confidence, let my people go. And that wasn't enough to overturn the system of belief in Egypt. And that's where we are. There is a system of belief. People don't realize that any group of people, any entity of people that functions within itself in any way develops a colloquial system of belief. It can be on the national level, on the local level, on the congregational level, and down to the family even. Over the years, I've gone into many homes for Erev Shabbat and Havdalah, and I've seen variations in the way it's done. Anybody? That's the system of that family, and it doesn't offend me. I'm, I'm not there to judge what other people are doing in their Havdalah and Erev Shabbat services, right? And then we do it here in the congregation, and that's where it stops for our system of belief, because ours clashes with the nation around us. And that's what Moshe was doing. There was no way one conversation was going to overturn a system of belief that the whole nation had been following for years and years. Similarly, a believer who has met Yeshua has met God. Are you guys confident in that? I am. We've seen Yeshua's death on the tree. We've understood that it was necessary for us. Interesting that Yeshua died on a tree and the messenger was standing in a bush. Isn't it? We have repented and turned from our own sins. We've been transformed by the Ruach to live according to his word. Those who genuinely trust in Yeshua, it's not just a change of mind. And I don't think a lot of people in the Christian community and, and even in the Messianic community, it's not like Messianic people are better than Christians and I hope we don't ever convey that. I don't think we are better people. All right? But it's difficult for... I don't think a lot of people realize that this is not just a mental exercise that we're doing. This is a life-transforming... I am a different human being now. I am not what I was. And if you are what you were, then there's a problem. If there's been no transformation, then there's a problem. If you've reverted to what you were, then there's a problem. But for the life of us, even though we believe it, you know, we can't convince the religious class in America 
to see God the Creator. And that it is by the name of Yahweh that we are all saved, whether they understand that or not. You know, I saw, I'm not going to say the name, you all, many of you probably know, but a prominent, prominent political person this week just said, I'm a good Catholic because I have five children. Yeah. Well, the reasoning was is pro-lifers only have typically on average two children. So she's a better person, even though she believes in abortion, and I said she, so you all probably know who it is, because she has five children. So that makes her righteous. She can kill everybody else's children, but because she had five, she's a righteous person. It's ridiculous. And we said it on Thursday night. We, as a believing body, as believers in Yeshua the Messiah, we have to confront unrighteousness. We have to. And I think the best way for us to do it is to do it on a personal level, not in a mean and... and I'm, I'm talking about being compassionately firm with people who are persistent in their sin. That's all I'm talking about. I'm not talking about judging people. But when people are persistent in their sin or justifying their sin, it has to be confronted. A lot of people, Jew and Christian, they stop their ears when we say his name. They want to hear it. They have their various and different reasons, but they don't want to hear his name. We did not ask to be let go from sin. And what I mean is, is if you have genuinely met Yeshua, then at some point you knew that he needed to take the burden of your sin off of you. And we didn't ask him for that so that we could then sit on our laurels and not be changed. They told Pharaoh, let us go for three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice unto Yahweh our Elohim. So it wasn't just to be let go. This is set apart for a purpose. This is very active sanctification that they told Pharaoh. Let us go, we pray, three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice unto Yahweh our Elohim. They had a purpose for leaving. It wasn't just the freedom they were seeking. It was to go, that freedom was to take them to the safety of God where they could worship him. We are meant to worship Yahweh who delivered us. The cool thing is, is that God, you know, Israel said, God judge you. You made Pharaoh hate us. And God didn't just wash his hands of them right then. Right? And he didn't lift the burden off of them immediately. He didn't lift trouble and tribulation off of them immediately. And as a matter of fact, they had to go through a big chunk of it. And then when they got into the wilderness, they had to go through all this other stuff. The seed of his word was still germinating inside of them. And they went through visually a process that sort of mimics the process of salvation that we go through from the day we confess Yeshua until the day we die. 
We are working out our salvation. We are clinging to it. We are persisting through tribulation. We are struggling to become more conformed to the image of the Son of God. And if we are not, we don't belong to him. If people are just believing and happy with the status quo and content to look like and act like the rest of the world, we may not be saved. I'm not their judge, but I question whether or not the Ruach is inside of them. It was after they stumbled that God said this, I am Yahweh and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Mitzrayim and I will deliver you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments and I will take you to me for a people. And those are the four I will statements that we remind ourselves of each year at the Passover Seder. Jewish people today, I saw it on TV, some program a couple of months ago. Today, Jewish scholars recognize that in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Testament scriptures, particularly in the Gospels, but I will add to it also in 1 Corinthians and other places, that the New Testament is the most ancient authority on a Passover Seder. I'm talking about unbelieving Jewish people. They see, they look into the New Testament and they recognize that the, that the, the 15 steps of the Seder can be seen in our scriptures. On the night of Passover, Yeshua probably said these four statements. He, he was conducting the meal and we don't pick up in the story because it wasn't important for the gospel writers to write down all of the steps of the Seder because that lived on in the Jewish people. And the audience understood the, the steps of the Seder. Are you with me? But it, he, they hint to, all the gospels hint to the steps of the Seder, particularly the third cup. And we're going to get to that. But what I'm driving at is before Yeshua started the events that we read about in the Gospels, he'd already read these four steps. I'll bring you out from under your burdens. I'll deliver you from bondage. I will redeem you by my arm. And I will take you to me as a people. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke only give us the third cup. Matthew and Luke in a little bit more detail. Luke in a little bit more detail. But that's all they give us is the third cup. Everybody knows the third cup is after supper. And in the Gospel of Yohanan, John, he tells us specifically, after supper, Yeshua took the bread and handed it to Judas. And the betrayer left after he took. That's the piece after the third cup. That's why I beg people to stay in our Seder all the way through and not leave because you typically get tired after you've eaten. You're full and you want to go home. And some people that have, coincidence or not, 
died after they left our Seder. And it's not a threat. I'm just saying it's something that I noticed and it, it scares me. Yeshua had already expressed those four things and then he rein, reinstates, reinvigorates the covenant. He ratifies the renewed covenant with that third cup. Yochanan gives us the most detail. And after he takes the cup, the third cup, and Judas leaves, then he says to those who remain, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's the, I'm going to take you to me as a people statement that God made to Israel. Are you with me? In Yochanan 14, verse 2, In the house of my father are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. So Judas is gone at this point. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to me, so that where I am, you may also be. And people say in the Messianic community today, a lot of Messianics are saying that we don't go to heaven. Yeshua was a liar. He spent quite a bit of effort trying to get them to understand that he was going away and where he was going, didn't he? And he said, I'm going to come and get you and take you there. But we're not going to heaven. He goes on from there, Yeshua does, at the Passover Seder and teaches three more chapters saying to them that it was necessary that he go away so that he could send the Ruach HaKodesh so that the Ruach HaKodesh could be with them to teach them and guide them and protect them and strengthen them. And that's all, I believe, the deliver you from bondage statement from Exodus because that's what he does for us. After we come to him, here's the deal. We come to him and he lifts the burden of our sin. I still remember the day at 11 years old when I was overwhelmed by the Spirit of God because I knew what a little stinker I was and God forgave me of it all and gave me of his Ruach HaKodesh. I still remember that. And, and any time that I've brought anyone else to that place, children and adults, I have experienced that same lightness again. They experience it for the first time. I feel like a ton of weights has been lifted off my shoulder. Anybody? You remember that day? And I feel that I'm like, I know. I know exactly what you mean. And then life became perfect and we never had any problems, right? If you listen to preachers today, that's what you're supposed to experience. No. Then the process of pruning, of growing, of, of being transformed has to happen. And it has to happen for the rest of your life. Chill. <laughs> Get used to it. Take a breath. Slow your pace a little bit if you have to, and then get to running again. That's life. And that's salvation. Salvation is a process. Yeshua devoted three chapters. A huge portion of the conversation after the Passover meal was devoted to 
The fact that he was going to give us of his ruach to make us different people, to give us power to do things, to be, to be able to go through things. And the whole community of faith in every generation has had to go through that ever since, facing the same perils that Israel faced. They faced them on a natural level. We faced them spiritually. They literally faced Bilam and Balak. We faced that spiritually and naturally. It's just not the same people. Are you with me? After the four statements, God says this, You shall know that I am Yahweh your Elohim who brought you out from under the burdens of Mitzrayim and I'll bring you into a land concerning which I lifted up my hand to give to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And I will give it to you for an, a heritage. I am Yahweh. Every time he says that, he is hearkening to his eternal nature and his character. When he says his name over and over again, that's what he's doing. It's like him saying, you can count on me. God is going to bring Israel into the land of Israel one day. In the very last of the last days, which still lies before us. People think that because we see Israel as a political entity again, that it's happened. And it has not it has not happened yet. Yes, Israel exists, and yes, that is a political miracle. Isaac Newton predicted it back in the 1500s, and he was nearly excommunicated for it. But he was right. They thought he was a fool. But he was right. Because the mindset of Europe was that they were Israel now and not those people. It still is. It has not happened yet, even though there are some Jews in the land now. But they are not Israel yet. For one thing, most of them are secular and do not worship God. We've been there. We've met them. Wonderful people. All of them. And only a handful worship. And only a fewer still know Yeshua. I've said it over and over. God did that for the Messianic Jews. I believe that. I believe he gave Israel to a handful of messianic people and the rest of the world is oblivious to it. Because if you look now, that community of Jews who believe in Yeshua is growing. It's growing. But, I have a chart and maybe I'll post it or send it to you. It's a pie chart of the population of Israel around the world. Most Jewish people in the world today live in the United States. 51% of all Jews in the world live in the United States. In Israel, 30% of the Jewish people live in the United States. Um, in Israel. Jewish people around the world, 30% of all Jews in the world live in Israel. 3% in France, 3% in Canada, and 3% in Russia. And then a bunch of little 1% and less in Latin America and other European countries. Well, that's it. Hmm? A few, but it's not many. South Africa, yeah. So... <coughs> 
Our Haftarah portion said this, Thus says Adonai Yahweh, When I shall have gathered B'nai Yisrael, or Beit Yisrael, from the peoples among whom they are scattered, and shall ha be consecrated in them, in the sight of the nations. So some of them have been gathered to Israel, but not all. And then the ones who are gathered in Israel, God, Yahweh, is not consecrated in them, in the sight of the nations. Am I right? Not yet. Then shall they dwell in their own land, which I give to my servant Yaakov, and they shall dwell safely therein. Israel does not live in safety. Israel lives in bomb shelters a decent percentage of the time. Israel lives with machine guns over women soldiers' shoulders. Say that three times fast. They don't live in safety yet. It has not happened. They will build houses and plant vineyards. And they have done that. Yet, and they will dwell safely. That hasn't happened yet. When I have executed judgments upon all those that have them in disdain round about them. That has not happened yet. The nations have not yet been punished for their hatred of God's Jewish people. It hasn't happened yet. That's what's coming. That's what's being orchestrated before our eyes in the world today. It remains in front of us. You and I know this. But the world has to go through something that drives all of those Jewish people home. 50% of them, 51% of them are in the United States. Something has to drive them home. The only thing that drives Jewish people to Israel is persecution and poverty. That's it. We're still living under this promise. I will, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Mitzrayim. And I mean that this way. The burden of Egypt in the gospel is sin itself. And the sin of Egypt was paganism. Like it or not, it was a Trinitarian theistic system with a high priest. Even encyclopedias, and I've looked at multiple encyclopedias, encyclopedias will tell you that, that Roman Catholic Christianity is modeled after Egyptian religion. Why? I've told you this because Constantine was an Egyptian. His dad was stationed in Egypt, and he grew up there. His mom was Greek, so he mixed it all together. I told you they were already mixed together. But he created the Christian system from that system. They all did. Because they excommunicated the Jewish bishops and any Gentiles, and there were many thousands in the congregations in 325 A.D., who would not submit. They, would, they continued to worship on the Sabbath. They continued to call him Yeshua. They wouldn't call him Kurios. They, wouldn't, they didn't change. So they were killed and driven away. The burden that mankind is under, however, is the burden of sin itself. 
That's what Egypt represents, is sin itself. And then he says, I will deliver you from their bondage, the bondage of sin. So this sin itself is the burden. It's a heaviness. I've just described it, and all of, many of you nodded and shook your heads that that's exactly how you felt when you came to trust in Yeshua, that the heaviness was lifted. But then the bondage may have stayed, or you didn't leave the bondage behind. Bondage to particular sins. Are you with me? Drugs, alcohol, sexual stuff, gossip. controlling spirit where you have to control the character issues. Those are the, the sins of bondage that we fight to be free from sometimes. And Yeshua, that's the, I believe, go home and read Yochanan, John 14, 15, and 16. Go home and read it. Because I believe that's what he's showing us there is, is how to overcome that bondage. And then I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That remains in front of us. People think that we, I have been redeemed. Not yet. The redemption that we wait for is the resurrection of our bodies, the purchasing back our dead bodies from death to eternal physical life. That's in front of us. I will take you to me for a people. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, your Elohim. So it's the deliver you from their bondage piece that we sometimes still struggle with, just like Israel did. They left Egypt. They go, you know, we'll, we'll go, we're going to be in this Passover phase for the next few weeks because... It's a lot of chapters in, in Shemot, right? So we're going to be talking about this for quite some time. But they left Egypt, and they no, they no more get out of Egypt. And they go, I want to go back. <laughs> I want to eat that Egyptian food again. They yearn to go back to slavery. Do you realize that? They didn't necessarily liked, like the bondage but they liked maybe they didn't like the burden but they liked the bondage they liked the safety of being cared for that's what our country is like today everybody wants the security of the government to take care of them that's right so the sin issue, little issues are the bondage that Yeshua frees us from. If people don't go there they, because they don't think that they can be successful. Well, guess what? You can't. In and of yourself, you will not succeed. That's kind of the whole point of Yeshua having suffered as painfully as he did, was to show you that you can't do this chill but in him with his ruach inside of you then you will people don't come 
to Yeshua for the freedom of from their bondage because they are fr- afraid they will fail him, you probably will. I have many times. Anybody? Issue you struggle with and it just happens over and over again? Feel like you're on a merry-go-round? I wrote a poem about it when I was 20-something years old. Here I am, 57, still dealing with the same junk. <laughs> Anybody? That's what it means. They overcame in the past tense, but it will be said in our future. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the confession of Yeshua. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The one who overcomes. So I'm going to read a passage out of Romans 8. And it, this is summed up in the last verse of the portion that we read from the Bema in the Brich Hadashah in 2 Corinthians. But Romans 8 kind of takes that verse and blows it up. So I'm going to read this. It's in Romans 8, 12. Therefore, my brethren... We are not indebted to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you, through Haruach, through the breath, the Spirit of God, subdue the deeds of the body, you will live. Those who are led by Ruach HaElohim, the the breath of God, the Spirit of God, they are the sons of Elohim. For you have not received the spirit of bondage. What did Yeshua say he was going to deliver us from at the Passover Seder? Bondage. To be in fear again. But you have received Haruach, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry Abba. It's basically Daddy. Avinu. Our Father. And his... Ruach bears witness to our spirit that we are sons of Elohim. And if children, then heirs, heirs of Elohim and joint heirs with Yeshua HaMashiach, so that if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified with him. For I think that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And all of us are suffering in some way, whether it be vicariously through the ones we love, and we as a congregation have a lot of that going on where we are aching for our fellow congregants to get through these things, right? They're not worthy. These sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For all of creation waits in earnest expectation for the revelation of the sons of Elohim. That's the redemption that I talked about. For man was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who gave him free will in the hope that we should choose rightly. God gave mankind free will and God hopes that we will choose rightly. He knows ahead of time who does, but nonetheless, in the meantime, He hopes. What does that mean? He's waiting on 
in Hebrew, the word hope and wait are the same exact word. Because man himself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of Elohim. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors in pain to this day. And not only they, but ourselves also. We have the firstfruits of Haruach. Even we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is, the redemption of our bodies. There it is. For we live in hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For if we see it, why should we yet hope? In other words, if it's happened, why are we still waiting on it? But if we hope for that which we do not see, then do we wait for it in patience. And there it is. There's your chill pill. Right? So I'm going to read our portion from the Brit Hadashah now. Do not unite with unbelievers. For what fellowship has tzedakah with iniquity? Or what mingling has light with darkness? Or what accord has Mashiach with Hasatan? Or what portion has a believer with an unbeliever? Or what harmony has the Hechal, the sanctuary of Elohim, with idols? For you are the sanctuary of the living Elohim. As it is said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says Yahweh, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says Yahweh, Ochez Hakol, the most powerful of all. Having therefore these promises, my beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, and let us serve in Kedushah, in the reverence of Elohim. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha. In the description, you'll find all the links to our websites and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayot ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.